This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode of Homestead and Corner was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Shirley Casperson, Virginia Spots, Jesse Steele, Sam Taylor, Mike and Don Van Winkle, Neil Covert, Ari Semenes, Holly Harmon, Accursed, and Ali Vasilevska. If you'd like to support the show as well, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to Homestead on the Corner. Man, these last few episodes have been a bit of a roller coaster. The protagonist has discovered great and terrible truths, been brought to their lowest point, made a life or death decision at the crisis, and finally faced their adversary head on at the climax. We've shown them overcoming the very forces of antagonism that started them on this journey, demonstrating their growth as a person, as well as illustrating the premise of the story in action through conflict. The big question of the story, what kind of person is this, has now been answered. So, what's left for the third act? After all, it seems like all the good stuff's done. The central conflict has ended, the characters' needs have either been met or consumed them, and all plot threads are, in an ideal story, tied up in a neat bow at the climax. So why doesn't the story end the moment the antagonist is defeated? Why doesn't Star Wars just cut to black the moment the Death Star detonates? Why doesn't Les Miserables end as soon as Javert kills himself? Eh, Sure, it would be a bit of a bleak ending, but at least it wouldn't be as much of a downer as watching a sickly old Jean Valjean die, surrounded by his weeping daughter and son-in-law. Well, no. Obviously, it wouldn't be a better ending. It might be neater structurally, but... Well, let me answer my own questions with another question. Would you be satisfied by those endings as an audience member or reader? Would a version of those stories without the last five minutes or the last few chapters feel as fulfilling? Would they really stick with you the way the originals have? Of course not. Though, it's a bit hard to say why. When the resolution drags on for too long, we tend to whine and moan about it. But films and books that do this tend to stick with us despite that complaint. Just look at The Return of the King, which has been nearly constantly lambasted for its nearly 30-minute-long final act ever since it was released. Yet I don't think anyone could reasonably argue that the film was an emotionally unsatisfying end to the trilogy. 
On the other hand, I can't think of one example of a book, film, or TV show that cut off the story immediately after the climax and still stuck with me. There are plenty with short, sweet resolutions, but literally the only example of one that didn't include a real resolution that I can think of is a film I've already picked on this season. Independence Day Resurgence, which pivots immediately from the end of its climax to a tease for the next film without giving the audience a chance to catch its breath and process what just happened over the last two hours. As a result, the film feels even more messy, rushed, and unsatisfying than it already was. In this lesson, I'll be diving into the last major structural beat of strong storytelling, the resolution. Its arrival marks the transition from Act 2 to Act 3, and the beginning of the crossing back into the ordinary world, and yet I often find that creative writing textbooks don't treat it with half as much detail as the other elements of the crisis, climax, and resolution trinity. But as I shall demonstrate today, it is an utterly vital and versatile tool in the storyteller's arsenal, and one that all writers would be foolish to neglect or misuse. So without further ado, Let's dive into Act 3 and the resolution. My biggest lesson about how to use the resolution came from writing one that didn't work. In October of 2019, I was on a writing trip in Langlois, Oregon. I was supposed to be working on the second draft of my next novel, but of course I triple booked my time, so I was also writing The Star's Eternal and a Halloween special that ultimately went unproduced, but set the stage for the Sheridan tapes. But in terms of what was written and actually came to fruition, The Star's Eternal was a much more difficult script than I'd anticipated. The story itself had been in my head in various different forms for a long time, and I had a strong post-it notes outline for the story, but it just wasn't working. After a lot of head-scratching, reshuffling, and rewriting in a nearby coffee shop, I finally realized what the main problem was. The outline was too strong in the second act, and way too thin in the resolution department. For those who have listened to the story, Suffice it to say that I originally ended the script right after Captain Astor quoted the castaway's last words in her conversation with General Echo. It made sense to do this in the outline phase. It clarified what had happened at the climax, hinted that Astor was able to remember her friend, and brought the episode full circle to the quote in the cold open. And yet, it didn't work. The story, big and bombastic as it already was, felt way too bleak with that ending. From an emotional and experiential level, that ending really said, the castaway is dead, and these people will all be haunted by the part they played in making that happen. I mean, the story was already pretty bleak to start with, but this just pushed the balance too far in that direction. Beyond that though, it just didn't work. It wouldn't be emotionally satisfying to the listener. It wouldn't provide them with a sense of hope or the full benefit of a cathartic release, but rather a dull, misplaced malaise that would be rejected and forgotten within a day or two. Beyond the experience of the listener, though, it also didn't work thematically. Though there were a lot of competing ideas in the first draft, the theme of the story ultimately ended up being the ways in which those we've lost live on in our memories and actions. Everything from the way the castaway's immortality works to the memory of their friend remaining with the crew of the Elementus feeds into this, 
and the ending I ultimately chose resolves this theme in a touching way, with the crew following the example of their adventurous, renegade friend and exploring the cosmos together. It reflected the themes, character arcs, and plotlines of the story in a way that fit the rest of the narrative in a way the original ending failed to do. In other words, it worked. These two key reasons for changing my original outline demonstrate why a strong resolution is so important to a good story. The resolution allows the audience time to experience an emotionally satisfying victory or catharsis at the end of the narrative, and demonstrates the full meaning of the thematic premise through action within the story. The resolution is not only necessary to a complete narrative, but bestows a whole host of benefits to the story itself. Let's discuss what the resolution does for your reader or audience first. In Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, he says, quote, Whether it's a comedy or a drama, wringing out the emotions of the audience is the name of the game. Making it an emotional experience using all the emotions is what it's about. End quote. When we sit down to read, watch, or listen to a story, we want to experience the full gamut of emotion, whether we know it or not. We want to laugh, cry, hope, despair, and love right alongside the protagonists. And as someone who spent the last five months writing a horror series, I know that people often come into a story to willingly experience some negative emotions such as fear, terror, disgust, or unease, sometimes even on a weekly basis. Of course they do. Storytelling helps us make sense of our own lives by showing us a metaphor for the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of life turned up to 11. But putting those kinds of strong emotions on blast for two hours, 25 episodes, or 300 pages is exhausting to the reader or audience member, especially when it comes to the crisis and climax moments. In Robert McKee's story, he says, quote, If the climax has moved the filmgoer, if they are laughing helplessly, riveted with terror, flushed with social outrage, wiping away tears, it's rude suddenly to go black and roll the titles. This is the cue to leave, and they will attempt to do so jangling with emotions. End quote. Cutting off the experience of the story without giving the reader time to process it forces them to do so once they've left the safe space of the story itself and return to their own busy, emotionally hectic lives. It turns what should have been an emotionally complete experience into one that is emotionally unresolved, which is quite literally one definition of trauma. To tell a story in such a way is not only clumsy and unfinished, but largely irresponsible to your reader. Some art house films and experimental novels may do so to force a certain negative emotion onto their audience, but you must have a very specific reason to do so, along with a very specific audience in mind. Well-told stories have a deep emotional power over those who experience them, and to misuse that power, especially with a younger or more general audience, can lead to actual emotional and mental anguish. This is, of course, the worst-case scenario. But as a rule of thumb, you should at least leave your reader or audience with space to breathe at the end of the narrative. If you're worried about losing your audience by slowing down the pace here, don't be. The resolution doesn't have to be long, and if they've already sat through the entire second act, you won't lose them if the story slows down in Act 3. A lifetime of storytelling has told us that stories are supposed to slow down here, and they'll accept and appreciate the chance to mentally and emotionally process the roller coaster they've been on before they get off. On that note, it's usually best to have the length of the resolution be determined by the length of the narrative as a whole. It's not an exact equation, but generally speaking, a longer narrative will require a longer resolution, while a shorter one can get away with less time in the third act. This is for two main reasons. 
First, a longer narrative will generally have more dangling plot threads that need to be wrapped up after the climax. And second, if a reader or audience member has been with you in this story for several hours, or in the case of a series, several years, then they will want more time to unpack their emotions regarding the story, and to say goodbye to these characters. The ending of the podcast Wolf 359 does this beautifully, with a nearly 15-minute denouement at the end of the final episode, an ending nearly as long as some of the first season episodes by themselves, but beautifully paced to wrap up the narrative and resolve the character arcs. Return of the King also fits this category as the end of a 10-hour-plus film trilogy. And also, what most people think of as the third act isn't actually the resolution, because while the external need is satisfied at Mount Doom, Frodo's inner need is still unfulfilled until he leaves Middle-earth, so technically the resolution is just the last scene with Sam and- <sighs> Okay, rant aside, I think you get my point. The more you've asked your reader to emotionally invest in the story, the more resolution they will need to unpack that emotion. The role of a storyteller is, in many ways, to guide their audience through a specific emotional and intellectual experience. Not to tell them how to feel, but to gently guide them towards a shared understanding of the narrative. Whether it's a classical hero's journey adventure or a twisting, labyrinthian nightmare of an anti-plot, the role of the author is to invest the story with meaning and communicate it clearly to the audience, even if the primary emotion being communicated is confusion and fear. And that becomes clearest at the resolution, where your task switches from getting the protagonist from the inciting incident to the climax, to guiding the audience towards the final emotional note you want to linger in their minds. Whether that emotion is positive, negative, melancholic, or bittersweet, knowing what you want your readers to take from your story and skillfully guiding them towards it is often what separates an okay story from one that stays with them for the rest of their lives. The second reason that the resolution is so important is slightly more mechanical, but no less vital. From a plot perspective, it may not be possible to bring all of your subplots to a satisfying conclusion at the main climax. After all, the end of the comic relief character's arc might feel out of place in the middle of a high-stakes battle between the protagonist and antagonist, and so it might be better to wrap it up before or after the climax. In other cases, the internal logic of the story might not allow certain subplots to be tied up before the climax. Two characters who need to be reconciled before the story ends are in two different locations at the overall story climax, and thus their story has to climax in the main story's resolution. This is something I had to do with my most recent novel. The two primary subplot characters split up just before the climax, with one taking an active role in the battle and the other supporting from afar by making sure all characters get where they need to be. Their final resolution scene, therefore, needed to be in the third act, after the primary conflict is resolved. Just be sure that any subplot climaxes or resolutions in the third act don't emotionally contradict the main story's resolution. If a foil character needs to fail in their plotline, then try not to put that failure in the middle of a positive story resolution unless you want to taint or complicate the protagonist's success. Again, there are ways to subvert these general principles, but you have to know why you're subverting them what that subversion says to your audience, and why you are saying it from a thematic perspective. And, with very few exceptions, you should not craft a narrative that asks readers to invest time, energy, emotion, and thought into a story that is, by design, unsatisfying or incomplete. 
Ideally, you may want to have all plotlines resolved at or before the end of the climax, then keep the resolution as short as possible. This is a very strong and classical approach to storytelling. Most of Shakespeare's most famous plays resolve this way. Romeo and Juliet die a few pages before Final Curtain. All the mistakes and mishaps of Messina are sorted out in the last scene of Much Ado About Nothing. Macbeth's ambitions are frustrated and his head removed just before the final speech. And all plot lines converge and end in a pile of corpses at the end of King Lear, with only a handful of lines to unpack what just happened. This approach, in other words, has a very high pedigree and a long history in English literature. It also has two added benefits for your story. It delays the climax and holds tension right up until the last moment, provided the writing itself can maintain that suspense, and it keeps the resolution as short as possible. For certain types of stories, this is an ideal technique to utilize. However, not all stories benefit from this kind of structure. In stories with more complex or subtle climaxes, a few extra scenes are required to unpack their meaning. Or in the case of Return of the King, half an hour in extra scenes. But again, the story is not really resolved at Mount Doom, Frodo is still dealing with unhealed emotional trauma right up until the moment he gets in the ship to the Grey Havens, and the story needs to communicate through the- Sorry, I, I do have a bit of a bee in my bonnet on that point. But I stand by it nonetheless. The Lord of the Rings is a very introspective, almost spiritual tale dressed up as a game of D&D, utilizing its fantasy tropes to tell a story of temptation and corruption of innocence, fate, and eventual redemption that is only granted by being willing to leave the world behind. By cutting the scourging of the Shire from the film version, Peter Jackson and company unfortunately removed a final bit of conflict that might have helped make that final section of the story a bit more palatable and kept the resolution from feeling too self-indulgent. That brings up yet another reason to resolve subplots in the final act. If your story, like Tolkien's, requires a character's personal arc to conclude after the primary conflict has been resolved, holding back an important subplot's climax until the final act can help you hold your audience's interest long enough to get there. In Save the Cat, Blake Snyder describes the primary subplot of your story, the B story in his terminology, as a rocket booster to help you get through the slower sections of the second act. This is, essentially, using the inciting incident of a subplot to provide narrative momentum during the break into Act 2, a technique that you can quite easily mirror by using the climax and resolution of a subplot is a booster rocket for your overall resolution. Again, just make sure that these scenes don't spoil the overall emotional effect of your resolution or the thematic premise of your story as a whole. However, these scenes can be used quite effectively to deepen the resolution of your story by adding contradictions or qualifications to its overall meaning. Meaning is, according to Robert McKee in Story, quote, a revolution in values from positive to negative or negative to positive, with or without irony. A value swing at maximum charge that's absolute and irreversible. End quote. That swing in values happens, or should happen, to one degree or another, at the end of every character's plotline. By carefully orchestrating these swings, you can enhance the meaning of one by contradicting it with another, forcing the audience to examine why one character succeeded while another failed. This, again, guides your audience towards a deeper understanding of your story's premise and deepens their emotional understanding of the narrative. There are many other techniques and styles that can be used when writing a resolution, but like all techniques in storytelling, what you do with this beat is largely determined by the kind of story you're telling and what kind of meaning you want it to have. In other words, the resolution and its inverse relationship with the crisis climax and midpoints all depend on your premise. 
A premise, as defined in Lesson 11, should include values in conflict, a moral argument, and, if possible, some element of irony or paradox. This is the seed from which your entire story springs, and as you can see from this and the last 12 lessons, the whole story is contained in this one statement. You have your protagonist, antagonist, ordinary and extraordinary worlds, rising conflict, midpoint, crisis, climax, and now, resolution. You have the complex and multi-layered meaning of your story contained in the central paradox of your premise, a paradox that you should, to one degree or another, resolve in the final act. The resolution, first and foremost, is about creating meaning out of everything that came before, and gently guiding your reader towards that meaning with the skill and patience of a master storyteller. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homestead on the Corner. Today's Resolution Revolutions were written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and featured music from Lauren Baker. Want to see me use these ideas in a real-life story? Our new fiction podcast, The Sheridan Tapes, is now available on all podcasting platforms. To find out where to listen to it, head over to thesheridantapes.com for show links and more info. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trevor underscore VW for updates on both of our shows, and check out patreon.com slash homesteadcorner if you want to support our little production team. Next episode, the protagonist returns to the ordinary world, having braved the trials and tribulations of the extraordinary, ready to bring the lessons they learned home. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Well, that's about all for now. From the homestead in the corner, have a great day and keep writing. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.